A lot of people with disabilities don't like to be looked at as inspirational just for living their lives, but it happens a lot. My name is Nate, and that's why this podcast is called We're the Inspiration. On this show, people with disabilities get to tell their own stories, but with me, a wheelchair user as host, they control how they're told, which is to say not in a way designed to inspire others. They're just real and hopefully entertaining. Someone's joining me from up north this week. He's a Canadian singer, songwriter, playwright, and set designer who's put on plays across North America, and he's also autistic. Mateo Esposito, thank you for being the inspiration for this week's show. No problem, Nate. Thank you, you very doing? much for having me. How you doing, man? I'm great. How are you? Good. So let's talk a little bit about your background first. You come yes. from a family of musicians. I do. Walk of Youth is a very big one that a lot of people know. They are great. They are fantastic. I believe they are in Europe. But another person that comes to mind who is actually a mentor to me, his name is Anthony Tulo. He's an up-and-coming country music artist from Ontario. And he's just fantastic. He is top five male artists of the year and played in Poland, 5,000 people at the picnic a few years ago. And he's actually playing in a couple of venues upcoming, but he's fantastic. He's a mentor to me, and I and I love the guy to death. His name is Anthony Tulo. Anthony Tulo, okay. Yes. So yes. people can look that up. Absolutely. Uh-huh. So let's talk about autism. Yeah. Because I've had a couple people with autism on mm-hmm. the show before, and I don't know a lot about it. You know, I have one of those disabilities that's sort of more visual. But, people, but, people can see right away. Yeah. But from what I understand, every case of autism is a little different. Mm-hmm. So how did you first know, hey, something's different here about me? That's a good question. Well, I was diagnosed at the age of seven years old, but it didn't really come until, until my grade seven or eight year. I always had an educational assistant with me up in Ontario and, and they were okay. But that really is not my point. But my point is basically um, that, yeah, I was diagnosed at the age of seven. And basically from there, when I got a little bit older, I noticed a couple of things. Like I stim, which is an autistic trait. I stim with twist ties and a paperclip. That basically, right then and there is when I um, is when I have sort of noticed something. And I did about my disability. And it's amazing that through all the disheartening and this all the bad stuff comes good you know because I I am very inspirational I love inspiring people I love to tell people that hey I'm just a person don't be afraid you know that's kind of why I named the podcast what I did Mm -hmm. because I find the word inspirational when it comes to disability very polarizing yeah some people hate it some people like it you like it I love it I do care and I don't because the thing is, if you think that I'm inspiration, that's great. I, I appreciate it. But a lot of people on the spectrum are with disabilities because they're embarrassed about their disability, you know. They're embarrassed about, I don't want to be an inspiration because I'm, I don't think I'm an inspiration. Well, to me, you are. And everybody's unique and everybody's different. I don't want to get into a huge debate about that, but that, that is yeah. one way to think about it. But really, I find the people that I know that don't like it. Yeah. It's not that they're embarrassed. What they find is that they're called inspirations for doing very mundane things. Yes, I agree. And I, there's got to be a different word for that, I think. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. yeah. So the bio that you sent me, 
Yes. It says that you have other disabilities as well as mm -hmm. autism. So what are your other disabilities? I have OCD, obsessive compulsive. The more mental health, I have ADHD, Tourette's syndrome, um, like uh, ruminating thoughts, ruminations of thoughts, angry rumination I actually have. And those are just some I have. Um, graphic motor dysfunction, which is means that I cannot draw properly. It's not, I call it a disability package, basically. And basically that disability package was handed to me. These are the cards that have been dealt with. And I did not have a flush or whatever. There's a decent amount of perks and a decent amount of non-perks. But I have to take the non-perks and make them into perks. So one of the disabilities that you said yeah. that you have sort of compromises your motor function. Right, yes. And one of the skills that you told me that you're working on is mm -hmm. set design. So like yeah. when you're making the models of the sets, does that mm -hmm. sort of motor function inhibit the way that you make the sets or no? I make models. Right. As a designer, you make sketches, models. Now sketches I can do on the computer. I can use AutoCAD, which I've been trained into, I shared in college in Oakville and also in Sheridan College doing technical production for the Performing Arts Institute. Amazing program, amazing professors. Actually, a set designer named Tyler Sonsbury, who's a faculty member there, he took me under his wing and he took an amazing thing was saying, I want to train you. I want to give you an independent study. And he basically told me, this is how you make the model. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. And basically I took it and I ran with it. I got a 90 in that course. But yes, making models is very intricate, very precise. And yes, sometimes that happens when small pieces get in the way. For me, I try to overcome my disability by believing in myself. And I think that's what everybody should do. Like the amount of ideas that I have doesn't combat with my motor skills because my ideas come. So there's always something to think outside the box. Or if I can't do this, what if I hire an assistant? Or what if I have somebody who can help me make my visions come true? And on occasion, I have, I have had that. A few companions have helped me and they're fantastic. So some of them are more collaborative than others. Some of them are done digitally. Right, right, right. You've told me about mm -hmm. a couple of your plays, and you told me there have been one or more than one that's been put on across mm -hmm. North America. Right. I don't know how many plays you've written or put on, but I do know that some of them incorporate characters with autism. So tell me yes. about that. Of course. So these two plays, one is based on a true story that happened to me on the transit bus in Oakville, Ontario, Canada, I believe it or not. And one is based on a great poem by G. Brian Benson, who is actually a New York Times bestselling author. I reached out to him. The first one, based on the true experience uh, on the bus, is called Sorting It Out. I call it my bread and butter piece or my prime time piece because it's amazing because it's about somebody's ignorance to understand a disability and the consequences that follow. The play basically is 30 minutes and got praised by many reviewers, including uh, New York Times bestselling authors and critics that people love the play because it tells the truth. I don't hide behind the truth. I expose it. When we did a live a couple of years ago, people gasped and people cried. And that's fantastic because most plays hide behind humor. My play exposes the truth. And I think that's, we're sorting it out. There's a character in 
named Nick, Nick Kinderwood. And basically Nick is the autistic person in the play. Nick, he's a middle-aged autistic man. And basically he gets bullied and mistreated by Ed Jackson, who is a typical millennial. Doesn't know much about autism. Doesn't know how to treat autistic people. Doesn't know how to behave properly when an autistic or special needs person comes around. And I think that's sad that I had to write about that, but it's the God honest truth. Like some people, we are having more awareness about people with disabilities, but some people just don't, it doesn't click with them. You know, and I'm sorry to say that, but you know, like this world is beginning to become a mess, not only with the things that are happening in the world, not with our disabilities, but with the people who look at our disability as a way, as not an asset, but a liability, you know? And so, and that's a shame because in this play, sorting it out, I really, really wanted to say, how can I make the audience go, ah, and show them with a sense of, I can do better with these folks. I can do better with these autistic people. I want to help them out. And I think we achieved that. But there's a line of the play that Ed, who's ignorant, like I said, he's like 25 around there. He just blushes it out. He says, society doesn't understand, so why should I? That's my favorite line of the play. And that's, by the way, that's the line that sticks out through all the drafts and made it to the play, right, as we speak. But that line basically signifies Ed's arrogance, but Ed's look on the world. Yes, society doesn't understand. And this is what I say, if you should follow your own judgment. A lot of people fall into the trap of society, but follow your own judgment. That's what I think I'm trying to say, but Ed doesn't want to do that until the end. The end is a huge plot twist, which I do not want to give away, but it's a beautiful, beautiful plot twist. And then we end up with the tableau scene, which is basically a tableau of an after a stunning turn of events. Like I would love to share, but that would give the play away. The second play, Moon Child, is about believing in yourself, about this young boy with autism, believing in himself to become a painter, based on a great poem by G. Brian Benson. Brian was gracious and kind enough to give me the poem uh, for free after we talked. It was actually on YouTube and I actually said, how can I turn this into a play? So I asked him and he said to me, I'm flattered that you wanna turn this into a play. Let's talk on the phone, we did. And two months later, it was in a play. It actually got on a momentum in Massachusetts for the theater group of Mills or the theater group of Mills, one of those theater companies that it was the first annual playwriting contest. And it got on a momentum and it got performed in Massachusetts. Fantastic company. They took my play and great company as well. But the main company that I love because it's off of Broadway was the Talking It Out Festival, Anthony J. Petonium picked my play. It was a one night only event and they basically picked my play to be part of a one act play festival this past month. And the response was outstanding. He loved the play and the review that the guy gave was he's called it disturbing and memorable strong and memorable in every way. And that's, I think, for sorting it out. It is strong and memorable. And then Mood Child got staged as well. Like I told you, so both of my plays got staged, but I'm hoping to get more stagings as we speak. Because I think educating the world about autism and special needs is fantastic. And I think that's what we need. We need more education. We need to say, this is how we feel. This is how we do it. Instead of just holding back and let the neurotypicals do it. You know what I mean? I absolutely know what you mean. I yeah, think yeah, yeah. there are your plays or my podcast that are 
kind of doing the same thing in terms of, you know, getting the word out there about disability to people that wouldn't otherwise know much about them. Now, you talked about how you sort of got interested in set design, but were you interested in writing plays about autism or did you start writing about other things first? That's a good question. I started to write plays about other things, like Will You Be My Valentine? I started to lovingly joke that it's Will You Be My Bloody Valentine because it was so garbage. But anyway, that's... Uh, why why was it garbage? What? I know, it was garbage because it was my first play. I did not know how to write a play. I didn't get mentored in it. The other two plays, Moon Child and Sorting It Out, I got mentored and I got a dramaturg on one and I, and I helped her on the other. But the first play, I was like shooting in the dark, you know, but we did it live at a community center, community living in Oakville, and it was great. We had a big audience, three actors. I was in it. I played Charlie in the play. I had to play because nobody else would play. Then, then we actually had two other spe- beautiful special needs actors. Um, one was Christina. The other one was Faith, and they played the characters beautifully, but again, that play wasn't about autism. The way I got into plays about autism was through the experience of the bus. Somebody was actually talking down to me, and I don't really like that. I really like anybody talking down to me or any of my friends or anybody on the spectrum, whatever. When I came home that day, I said, Dad, give me a pen and a piece of paper. I need to write something down. Okay. And that's when I wrote the first draft of something about autism based on this little incident that happened on the bus. Not with the bus driver, but with the passenger, actually. And then things sort of spiraled from there, yeah. Well, they say write what you know. No, absolutely. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, of course. You have to. Anyway, if you don't, then if you don't write what you don't know, then I don't know if if you know how to write what you know, you know what I mean? So it right. makes sense, you know, it makes sense. Yeah. I'm, yeah. <laughs> in your plays about autism, we sort of talked about the reality of it. Do you think that there are plays that involve disability that aren't as authentic as yours? Yes. And I can name one. A lot of people are going to hate me for this, but I don't care. The play didn't mention autism. They didn't mention Asperger's. They said a boy with behavioral difficulties. To me, that's offensive to me. Bloody state the name, autism. Bloody state the name of Asperger's, whatever. You know, not bloody, but you know what I mean? Just state the name of autism. I have autism. I'm autistic. Don't say a boy with behavioral difficulties. And then at the end of the play, there's a line I don't want to quote it, but it's like the boys told, can I do anything? And then the lights went black. The answer would be yes, we can do anything. And that really bugs me because it makes the audience say, can we or can't we? Just state the thing. Yes, we can. It basically is contradicting what we can and cannot do. And that's not right. In my opinion, dreams are reality. A lot of people say dreams are not reality. Well, in my opinion, follow your dreams. Follow what you want to do. And of course, curious, yes, the play was loud, the play was obnoxious, and everything with the lighting and the sets, it was from the UK National Theatre, it was actually the North American premiere. You know, say the name autism, Asperger's for that matter. In my opinion, if you don't, then don't do a play on it. The novelist and the playwright don't know anything about autism. And if they did, they would put the word autism or Asperger's in it. And that really pisses me off. Sorry to say that, Nate, but that really does bug me, you know? Why do you think somebody would 
write a play about autism that didn't know anything about it? That's a good question. Maybe they want to try something new. But the thing with try something new is you have to know, like you say, right, well, you know, right, about the subject. Sure. If you don't know about the subject, then why the heck are you writing about it? I know it was based on a novel. And even the novel said, I don't know how this is going to get staged. I remember watching an interview on that. And of course, they did meant to stage it. But to me, they didn't say it properly. It was more projections, more video LED lighting. It was really loud music. It really actually not scared me, but for an average artistic, you would walk out. I actually think some people did anyway. But like you said, and like I said, right where you know. If you take an adaption of a book and you want to weave it away, don't just prop the book on stage and add the characters' names and dialogue. It has to be authentic. And another thing is, when I saw it, there was no artistic actor that played uh, Christopher. Uh, Mickey Rowe was the first one in the state. He's fantastic. I love the guy. Blind and artistic. But before him, nobody. And that's a shame because if you put a play about autism on, you damn should have well an artistic actor in the play, an act- artistic actress. And I think that's bad representation. The playwright should be ashamed, basically, of themselves for not making it truly authentic. The more I put my plays out there, and the more that people come and see them, and the more people that want to take a look at them, that's great. But another thing is, will they stage them? Artistic theater is very rare of today's marginalized world. It's a shame because the world that we live in is not meant for us. The world that we live in is not meant for people with disabilities. It's meant for people who can stick it out. People should be accepting of not only us, but other minorities as well. I don't want to name names, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. I know that you're in school right now. Right. Yes. Are you going to a school that is for... Autistic people or no? No, I'm in a mainstream college program. Okay. It's called Technical Production for the Performing Arts Industry. It's fantastic. I love it. It's basically backstage theater for the people. It's a mainstream college program, basically. But you get to learn the backstage world of theater sets, props, lighting, sound, costume, stage management, everything. But no set design. But that's basically my undergrad and then my grad would be my, you know, my set design degree or diploma, whatever. And you're getting help as you need it. Yes, I am. Yeah. Accommodations and everything. I love it. Some schools don't do that. So. <laughs> no, I know. Most yeah. schools don't do that. You That's know? true. So from what you told me, you have some sort of play that's debuting on Zoom. Is that correct? Yes. Saturday, we're actually going to be doing Sorting It Out and Moonchild together. It's called Life Sketches. We're going to put them all together and create a performance. And we have a cast from actually North America. We actually have a few people from North America, a few people from Canada. I can't wait to do this. I can, the two plays are free of charge. They're on Zoom. If you want, go to my website, which is about me slash Mateo Esposito. It's an about me website. So about dot me slash Mateo Esposito. You guys can contact me there. I would love for more people to get the link and to see what the plays are all about because the more the merrier as they say, you know. Well, you sent me that link already, and I'll just I did, yes, yes. put it up Please, yeah. when I put the episode up. So Yes, yes. All right. Well, Mateo, good luck to you, man. Thank you, Nate. Yeah. I appreciate it. Good luck to you, too. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much.
Thank you. All right. Well, thanks to Mateo for being the inspiration for this week's show. Thanks everybody else for listening. Remember, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Discord, and YouTube. Links will be in the description. Until next time, this is Nate Lurie saying you don't always have to do a lot to inspire others.